And now, for the thousands in attendance and the millions of people that wish they were sitting in front of my bar at the moment, welcome to the sixth episode of At The Bar with Yo Adrian, where I explore the lives and times of some really interesting people. One of those interesting people, well, he's very interesting, it's the big, the Don the Duckman. How are you, mate? Good, Adrian. How are you, buddy? Don Sweetman, his name is, (laughs) but we all call him the Duck. Well, they couldn't call me Mickey Mouse with the first name Donald, could they? Exactly. And we've got to, look at, look at this. We've even got him here. Being an ex-doorman. <laughs> I mean, come on. Who, they brought out a doll of the guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, mate, it's good to see you. Yeah, good. Cheers, mate. Good to see you. Cheers. Now, yeah. I've, I've got a drink here. I poured it earlier on. It's the, uh, it's a, it's the Bombay, Bombay Sapphire, I should say, with the uh, gin and tonic. Now, I didn't give Don a drink because <laughs> he's a recovering <laughs> alcoholic. <laughs> he doesn't drink anymore. No, nah, that's straight, also, straight to- toxin, uh, tonic water. He's had diabetes also, so, I mean, there's a lot yeah. of sugar in the, uh, the, the tonic. Just the same. I love this, this drink. It's refreshing, especially in summer. Anyway, let's get straight into it. It's a special Christmas edition, and Don's got his... Christmas hat on. He's a very interesting guy, this uh, this gentleman. Known him for quite a few years now. A very generous man. I call him the the modern day Robin Hood. He's he's certainly a local identity throughout the South Sydney area. Well, Robin Hood stole from the rich and gave the poor. Adrian didn't he? I was the poor. <laughs> exactly. He loves his South Sydney Rabbitohs also. I might yeah. add. One I read, one I agree, mate. So let's get straight into it. He's uh, one of his things is he's got a Freedom Food Bank which I believe you started to give to the poor. Yeah, I'm the founder, mate, yeah. Founder of that organisation. Tell us all about it, mate. Mate, it started off about two years ago, just before the uh, coronavirus hit. I was sitting in my kitchen ta- uh, kitchen at home and uh, I had all this food in the cupboard. And uh, I'm thinking, man, this is going to go out a day or I'm going to throw it out. Well, I just felt I got a little nudge from God or something that day and I, 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 my car was in getting the gearbox done, so I filled up this backpack full of food and I caught the train in the central because all the homeless congregate in central. Yep. I learned that from years ago from the Matthew Tower. I'm walking through the central and the, all, all the homeless got their blankets out and that drawing them out in the sun and there's a bloke on a milk crate, cold biting. And um, I said, mate, do you need any food? And he said, yeah, me and my wife are here, we're cold biting, we've got nothing, blah, blah, blah. So I um, I said, mate, turn, turn your... Um, milk crate over and I'll tip all the food in it. And I mm. said, do you have a bag or something? So I threw him the backpack as well. And he said, is your name The Duck? Because you could tell by my voice, I've got a very distinguished voice. I always wanted to be a singer. Mum said, you got, you'll be a singer, son. You've got a head like a singer, so I'm ashamed. Anyway, I've done a lot of karaoke. You know, I love Adrian, he's a bit of a singer. But, um, yeah, this bloke, and, and, and he said, were you in Long Bay Jail, 14 Wing, back in 1999? I said, yeah, mate. I was in jail with him. It was amazing. So I gave him all this food, and that's that's how Freedom Food Bank started. This yeah. bloke just, you know, just going, and there's a lot of poor and homeless in, um, you know, the streets of Sydney. But for, with the Coronavirus Act, a lot of people don't know this. The government, in infant wisdom, they um, put all the homeless in hotels, the five-star hotels, because there's no one flying. There's mm. all the hotels are running at like 20% occupation. So, and a mate of mine got out of jail. He'd done 15 years straight, and he had nothing, and and uh, uh, and I'll champion boxing trainer rang me up and he said oh mate can you take me over some food and he was in a hotel at mascot and uh you know and then we got going we started getting putting it on facebook and that and people seeing what we're doing 
through the coronavirus, all the charities were closed, mm. and, um, and and the government was putting all the people in, in the hotels in infant wisdom, but they had no money. They, they, you know, the Oz Harvest could only deliver two, two meals a week. I, I was looking after the Quest Hotel at Mascot. They're great supporters of Freedom Food Bank. And, um, mate, that's how we started, you know, and it just went gang. We, 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 we were doing hundreds of hampers. I was getting food donations. So you rely on people's um, generosity to... Uh... Well, our motto is my dad's uh, uh, on Barry Sweetman, my dad, and he always taught me the art of giving. And my and my logo for Fruit and Food is how do you send the homeless home? You mm. can't. So all these homes in the five-star hotels, but they had no money. They can't afford $27 for steak, sandwich, chips and a Coke. And Oz Harvest could only do two meals a week because of the fact that that all the charities were closed down through the coronavirus. And that's how we founded Freedom Food Bank. And we, we even give uh, nappies and baby formula to the women's shelters at Cronulla and Surrey Hills, mm. the women in domestic violence and all that. Who, you know, you've got three kids and, you know, can't afford the food for free because the husband's in jail or whatever or, you know, running amok. So that's how we started, mate. Just simple, simple as that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Christmas and the true essence of Christmas is giving. And it must give you such joy to be able to go around, give people food, presents for the little kids. You get a lot of kids there we, too that we, are we do sort toys. of homeless. We do or? the toy run. I've done the toy run five years in a row. That's from another mate of mine, Paco Botany. He owns some garages and they store it up and they've got to... So, and we're giving out like cars, brand new in a box, remote control cars, boats. And they're good presents, brand new from all... He had five garages and he, he had to get rid of all the stock. Because the coronavirus, they weren't selling. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we've done the we've done the toy run five years in a row. Um, we give to the uh, Aboriginal kids out there at uh, the Coonabarn Centre at Padstow, and um, you know we, we give toys, uh, blankets, sleeping bags, tents in uh, Willow Creek out there. They've got the park that runs through the river, runs through one side Arncliff, one side Tempe. All the homeless sleep in the parks out there. And I didn't even know that, mate, till I got out there. How many volunteers have you got distributing? Uh, I, I had quite a few, but being a voluntary thing, mm. people will help you for a few days and that, and they sort of drop off because we're, we're non-for-profit. We don't take any cash. I've never taken one cent. It's been all food. People donate to the people, and we give to the people. That's fantastic. That's our motto, yeah. Now, you had a tough upbringing, a very, very hard upbringing, mm. and um, tell us about it, mate. Just before I go, you asked me a good question about the art of giving. The most beautiful thing when you give someone a food hamper or a toiletry pack or toys or a sleeping bag or blankets or towels. I, I had a mate of mine last night, Scats Vernon and Ian Vernon, just drop another hoop of mm. men's clothes over. We've got men's clothes, women's clothes. The greatest gift I get is when they say, thank you, Don, and they nearly start crying. Mm. And especially the women with kids. And, um, you know... Um, just a thank you is the most beautiful gift you can receive. Mm. It's my way of giving back because, you know, I was a bit of scallywag when I was a young bug. You know, I grew up with an alcoholic mum, no father. My dad's um, Indigenous. He's one of the Sims boys out there, Uncle Vic, Uncle Greg out there at LARPA. And he left mum with me and my three sisters. They're um, up on the Gold Coast, not the three sisters in the Blue Mountains. Three sisters on the Gold Coast. I'm going up next Wednesday to see them. And we, we grew up with domestic violence and... The reason I do what I do with Freedom Food Bank and give out food, because I know it's like to grow up and have nothing. I don't do it because I want to you know, put myself on Facebook or pump my ego up or think I'm better than anyone. 
I do it because I know what it's like to grow up yeah. with no Christmas trees, no teddy bears, alcoholic mum, no father, the old man's gone walking about, never come back, left mum with me and my three sisters. So I knew what it was like to grow up with nothing. And when we got a food hamper or when we got a pair of uh, shoes off some vintage of the Sally's, I was happy because mm. I, I felt like all the other kids, I felt so, so shame and different to other kids. And I had a lot of abuse in my childhood. Um, a lot of it was sexual by two females and a male. So I shut down and my coping mechanism was to, um, I use alcohol, I become an alcoholic and drug addict, recreational drugs. And then with What that, sort of recreational drugs are we talking about? Uh, speed, I was on speed for 10 years. Uh, then I got onto the rich man's drug, cocaine and ecstasy. Of course, I bounced around a lot of doors in Sydney and all that. And back in the 70, 80, 90, it was only a bit of pot around that and a bit of speed. There wasn't much. Uh, I stayed away from the heavy drugs, but I'm still an addict. You know, if if you got if you're consuming a substance and it's got power over you, you're in trouble. You got to identify. I was an alcoholic and an addict. I don't have any shame in saying that today. I'm, I, I, I go to a 12-step recovery program. I mentor young blokes. I go around to all the drug rehabs and all that. And, and I've even been back into prison and um, shared with the guys in the Narrenewal. Uh, drug and alcohol rehab wing in Long Bay Jail, and um, it took me a while to get over it. But I see the I work with the counselor, a top counselor. He helped me a lot through it too. But you, you don't get it. You don't get an urge for it now. Just say if if I, I don't know if there was just say if there was a bit of toot on that table there. Now would you would you be tempted? I'd look at a, it. I'd look at it. We we'll always we we'll always be tempted. Just flick it off. Yeah, we we'll always be tempted, but you don't bow to the temptation. That's what yeah. I've learned. I'd look at it and I'd think, nah, not for me anymore. Yeah. I've come too far. Why would I want to go backwards? Yeah. And, um, That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I've, and you've got to be strong. You've got to, it, it, see, battling addiction is not out there. It's in here. It's in the mind. Mm-hmm. And the battle goes on there in your head, whether it be alcohol, drugs, gambling, food, sex, uh, money, codependency addiction. There's 42 different addictions. I'll give you 10 right now. So it's about the battle of the mind. And you've got to overcome it in there. It's not in the body or out there. It's in here. Mm. And that's and we. I go to a 12-step recovery program, and they teach us step one is um, we're powerless over the first drink, drug, gamble. Then our life becomes unmanageable. We'll end up in prison. Back in 99, we'll share that story a bit later. Mm. So, right, I asked you earlier on about your upbringing. So it was, it was tough, your upbringing? Mate, there's one word probably without being rude, it sucked. My upbringing yeah. sucked, mate. When you got alcoholic mum, no father to come home with. I wasn't taught like you taught your sons, mate. You know, your dad taught you, we're talking to car about he's a pain or he taught you how to paint. I wasn't taught, son, you work hard, 52 weeks a year, you take your wife and kids on a holiday, you know, and, and you you know you look after them and, and, and pay the rent or buy a house. I wasn't taught, I, I never had parenting or living skills. I learned survival skills. And one of my survivors, I got bullied at school. Mm. I want to learn to box to protect myself. That's the only reason I went and, and started the Peace Boys Club and started boxing, because I got bullied mm. at school. And um, one, well, the other thing I found out about bullies, Adrian, mm. is once you whack them on the chin, mm. they never come back to bully again. Yeah. <laughs> does help. <laughs> Certainly does. Now, you were talking about your drugs and the alcohol. How did that affect your personality when you were, when you were growing up? Well, what effects did it have on your personality? 
Well, it affected me immensely, mate, because because of my childhood trauma and the sexual abuse and the bullying, I shut down. So when I shut down, the thing that blocked it out, the coping mechanism was the alcohol and drugs. So I had this wall around me. Mm-hmm. And if you try to get over that wall, make, make sure your life insurance is paid up because this bloke used to come out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I built up a wall. It wasn't until, actually, it wasn't until I went to prison in 1999, I got sentenced to two and a half years. I went to prison where I, I let all the walls, well, in prison, on the streets and bouncing, you learn, you learn street, street skills, like living skills, you know. In jail, you learn to stay alive. Yeah. <laughs> different, different, there's no rules in there. But it wasn't until I got a counsellor and I let the walls down and I found out I'd been abused as a kid. I got to the core issue of what happened to me as a kid. Then I was able to counsel and let the barriers down and um, it was hard, mate. It was very hard because one of my uh, sex abusers was a female member of my own family. So if you can't trust family, who can trust, mate? You know what I mean? Mm. And, um, yeah, so it was pretty – it was the worst period of my life. But I look back now and I'm not able to mentor and help the guys that I help if I wouldn't have went through that. Yeah. Yeah, because only – well, there's a saying in AA – the therapeutic value of one alcoholic up when I was out Paramount, NAGA, and one sexual abuse. I've helped a lot of guy, guys in recent, and I'm working with a couple of guys at the moment who have had the same childhood as me, sexual abuse. See, there's a stigma with sexual abuse because most people think it's the, uh, well, the father molesting the, the, the daughter or the uncle or whatever, blah, blah. But if, if we're at a dinner table tonight for Christmas, I'm going to a Christmas party. And there's six females in there, six males. What's the first thing will happen when the female starts crying? The other females go and comfort and counsel her. What's the first thing that will happen if one of the boys starts crying? What are you crying, you poof, you sook in front of the girls? Toughen yeah. up, princess, you know what I mean? So there's an Aussie stigma. And uh, that, that, you know, real men don't cry, you know mm. what I mean? Well, I've got a saying, real men cry, real men ain't quiche. And that's not saying all men aren't real. I've just learned that I'm allowed to feel my emotions today. I'm allowed to happy, mad, glad, sad. And you know, I was a bit of a party man. I used mm. wish in the nightclub, be off my head on the Eckies and the Coke and party for four days and go to the black market and DCMs and all them clubs. And I didn't have a worry in the world. But it's when I finished drinking, when I, when I hit the rock bottom, when I started, um, so, started sobering up, I had um, the shakes, the shakes, and I was... Um, Cocaine's a very heavy addictive drug and they come down off it. Normally Valium or something like you gotta come down off it. So, you know, there was a lot of trauma in my life. There was a lot of um, hard times. I never, I, I, I did feel suicidal once. Um, that did cross my mind, jump off the Harbour Bridge. But I kept thinking of my family, my sisters, my nephews. And uh, it was pretty, it was pretty harrowing, mate. That's why I had to have a good counsellor. Good male counsellor, Steve Walton, who helped me immensely. And he said to me at the end of my last counselling session, he said, Don, the world will become your oyster when you learn to forgive. I had to forgive the people that hurt and betrayed me. Geez, that's good advice. Yeah, and, and this is the magic secret, Adrian, is, is, is every time I hated them and every time I drank that alcohol drink, that was like a bottle of poison, I'm drinking the poison, they're not, they're not drinking the getaway scot free. Every time I forgave them, I took the power back. Every time I hated them and was angry and resentful and wanted to kill them, 
Mm. Come on, mate, I'm a human being, not a human doing. Uh, they were winning. So Steve Walton taught me, Don, when you learn to forgive, the world become your oyster. And, mate, the world's my oyster today. So psychologists do work. Um, counselling, he, he was a trauma male counsellor. Okay, yeah. Yeah, trauma male. Um, counselling's good because it helps you debrief and unload all that trauma. Mm. And the thing you've got to do with counselling, you've got to get someone you trust. Because if you're going to devolve your whole life to this, you want to trust him. Because a lot of counsellors, you've got to remember, they do recording and reports for court. And, Steve, and I'll tell you, it's not a funny story, it's a true story about Steve Walton. I walked into Steve Walton's counselling service at um, Gladesville and um, he had all these teddy bears mm. in, in this room and I'm thinking, mate, what's going on here? Is this bloke, is this bloke you know, gay or whatever? And I said, mate, tell me a bit about yourself, mate. He said, well, mate, I was a plumber and so I was getting $75 an hour, put my hand up, shit pipes, you know, shit drains. And he said, I was, I was at work one day and this bloke come up, he was crying, his marriage flew up. He said, I counselled him, I talked him around. He said, I'm a Christian, I go to church. I've got a wife, two kids, I'm a plumber. And I thought, what a good bloke, you know, he just wanted to help people. And um, when he finished telling me that, and uh, and and he, he said to me just like this, Adrian, he said, Don, didn't you have a teddy boy and a little boy? And, mate, I just burst out crying, mate. I just rivers an ocean. I got the tissue box, I made a soccer ball. Mm. I just... Because I never teddy bears, Christmas tree. I've only got one photo of my dad, the Curry guy, Donald John Sims, and, uh, 1963 at Grace Brothers. You know, Grace Brothers, the black mm -hmm. and white, the Sanders at the Grace Brothers. I'm sitting on his lap, and you tell his Curry is dark, and uh, I haven't got another photo except for my 21st. So for 21 years, we never had a Christmas party. Mum was on the drink. She was an alcoholic. She needed the money to support her habit, drinking. So for 21 years, I didn't have a family photo. And... Last year, or just before the coronavirus, I went to Foster for a holiday. I went up to the local uh, shopping centre and got my photo taken with Santa. <laughs> it's on Facebook. Yeah. Santa's up. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that can trigger trigger your uh, childhood, stuff like that. Mm. But you learn to um, uh, – you've got tools and steps to overcome it. Forgiveness is the greatest thing. I, I actually – I've got a saying. And I, I'm not blowing my trumpet, mate. I'm not here – because I'm a Hollywood actor or star, and all. Mm. I'm here because I'm a male adult survivor of sexual abuse. See my shirt today? Victory? Victory. I don't put up the V for victim anymore, mate. I put up the V for victory. And, uh, you know, and I um, I uh, forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> but you know what? It's it's You go through what you've gone through, and I, I notice when I speak to you, you've, you've got that compassion, and you... I could speak to you about anything and feel comfortable about it because I know I'm not going to be judged. Yeah. And you've got that thing about you where I can speak to you, even things that are really, really close to close to my heart. Like there was a, a personal issue that I had with someone close in my family and you were able to um, give me some really, really good advice on it. And, uh, and I, re I reckon that the reason why is because you've been through yeah, a lot of things in your life, and, and no, nothing phases you. Well, that's that's well, sort of not much I haven't done, but um, a few things I haven't done on my bucket list. But you know, life is a challenge. Sometimes two step forward, step, step back. Depends what childhood you're brought up and what you know, I was raised in. Houseo, there's a, there's a stigma to Houseo. You know, low poverty income, dull sickness benefits, all that. But um, 
the greatest thing I've learned, as I said, is forgiveness. And I've got a saying, that's what I was going to say. And I don't say this, but love is the greatest of all, but forgiveness conquers all. I'll say that again. Love is the greatest of all. What's the three most powerful words on planet Earth that every human being wants to hear, Adrian? Well, love's definitely one. I love you. Yeah. I love you. That's the most powerful three words. So love is the greatest of all, but forgiveness conquers all. See, we let a lot of people live in our head, and then when we do that, anger and resentment, that's why we need substances or, or any addiction to block it out because we don't want to live all that nightmare and that rehash, all that stuff. And I, I, I do what I do today, and I just sent a couple of mates of mine the other day. I've been painting for 20 years, and I called my company All Purpose Painting because I found the purpose of my life. I said to a couple of mates, I, I want to, I'm, I'm able to paint. I'm doing 20 years, my back's gone. I said, I want to become a public speaker. You know what I mean? And they said, Don, you don't need to hire a hall, mate. You need an auditorium. Because I believe you can, the therapeutic value, talking and like we did in the car on the way here and, and, and a few other family issues you spoke to me about. Mate, personally, I'll just jump in. I think you're wasted as a painter. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I, I'm thinking that too. I'm sick I'm, of painting. I'm serious. I'm, like, I'm over mate, it. Mate, you've, <laughs> you've yeah. got too much to offer. Well, mate, if, if, Anthony, if Anthony Robbins... Can charge twenty thousand or thing and walk over mm. fire, and the last eight thousand will walk over fire. Mate, I should walk over fire with two cartons mate, of VB when I was Rob on the piss. Nothing on you, champ. Uh, but, but mate, I'm not going to go to him for marriage or or, or, or family. He's been married and divorced three times. I'm not mm. going to. You know, I'm not going to go to him for advice. I go to you. You're married. Your mm. kids. Your house. You know what I mean? So, and it's important too, mate. The other thing I didn't mention to have good mentors. I've had God put good mentors in my path that have helped me and guided me. And that's what I am. I'm a mentor. I love being a mentor. I mean, I'm working with a guy at the moment, a young bloke. His marriage is about to fall over. He's on a $1,000 cocaine habit a day. And he's got a business plumber. And his marriage is about his wife wants him out. And, and I just sat with him a couple of times. And I just made him look at him. You know, don't judge her. Don't judge her. And you said the, the biggest thing. Who am I to judge anyone? Because... I can't judge anyone because when I judge someone, look at that, mate. When I'm pointing the finger at someone else like you, look what's pointing back. Three fingers at me. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't judge today, you know. And I have judged. I'll be a liar, hypocrite, or I said I didn't. But I've well, learned. I think we all have. Yeah. In the past. Well, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, mate, you know, and you get burned in life. Like, I've had people use me up, took my kindness for weakness, burnt mm. me up, used me up. You know, good mate tried to get on with me, me, me girl, you know what I mean? Things like that. And. You know, life's, I love what Forrest Gump said. He said, life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But you know about Forrest Gump, that movie won, won um, eight Academy Awards, eight straight, because it was about Jenny, the, the girlfriend, getting sex abused by the father, and they run in the cornfield mm. to start. And Forrest Gump said one, he says, I don't know much, but I know what love is, you know? And he loved Jenny, and she went off on the hippie thing, got on the heroin, mm. and they had the kid. And he was he was the legacy left, mate. It's a powerful yeah, movie. A when, movie. When, when you, and I, I love Captain Dan. And when he, he said we're gonna shrimp, bubba shrimp boat and shrimp cocktails, and mm. and then he sees Captain Dan, and anyways, Captain, and he lets the boat go straight in the wharf. It's one of those that movie and uh, Shawshank Redemption, oh. which brings me on to uh, I'll segue straight into you talking about you've got yourself in a bit of trouble in the past. Your jail time. You mentioned jail. How did how did you end up in jail in the first place? Just tell the audience out there what happened. Well, I was at a mate of mine's place up here at Matraville, 
were drinking and um, ex-girlfriend wanted a pack of cigarettes. So I went up the metal bottle shop, it was the old drive-thru bottle shop. That was not far from yeah, where we are now. probably about a kilometre. Yeah. And um, I rubbed the, that's the Matto 7-Eleven I robbed, that one there, it's still there. Yeah. And remember the old Orient Chinese restaurant on yeah, the I corner? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And uh, I um, went up to get a cigarettes and uh, I, I, the bloke was out the back in the in the cool room getting a bottle of, uh, a, a slab of beer. And there was two bottles of black sambuca, and it's funny, it's a, bottle, a big thing of sambuca right there next to me. I, I sat down, I looked we, at we that. We've got sambuca around here. <laughs> nah, I, 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 you, you hate looking at that. Nah, mate, that remind you. That's uh, uh, tonic water, nothing else. But, uh, yeah, the old black sambuca, oh, jeez. Mate, we, we we had about five of them. Is that the one? That's the one, mate. We had about five of them straight, Moon oh. Johnny Reed, Chopper Reed. It was at his son's fifth birthday. And, uh, mate, I'll tell you, and we went through the drive-thru bottle shop. I thought, we'll get a slab of beer and pack of cigarettes for mm-hmm. me girl. Well, the bloke was out the back, and I knocked off the two bottles of sandbookers, put them down my jumper, and went off back to the barbecue. I forgot the cigarettes. So my girl said, where's my cigarettes? So I went back. And the bottle shop was closed, closed at 9 o'clock. It was about 10 past 9 on the Sunday night. And... Uh, so I got up and we'd done a U-turn past the old Chinese restaurant there at Matterville and pulled in the 7-Eleven, which is still there. And I was drunk and I didn't have a gun or anything, but I said to the young blokes, what's this? I'll pretend to rob the 7-Eleven. They said, no, you ain't. You're drunk. You're stupid. I've been drinking all day. We drank two cartons of Reese's Pills and cans, Moon Chopper. So I walked and put my hand up my shirt and I went, oi! And the little chimes went, hung, chung, chung, I put his hands up. I just cleaned out the well, till. You didn't even have a gun? No, no. I put my hand up my shirt because I've got big hands. I got big hands and put me hand up my shirt, pretend I had a gun, because and uh, and I, I think I left it in my mate's glove box because the adrenaline kicks in. Mm. <laughs> you could do it so all you, you had a gun. Yeah, it was in the glove box, and I forgot. Didn't... I forgot it. Okay. So I, I thought at the last minute, what I'm going to do? I'm going to put my hand up my shirt, pretend to rob it, and I got four hundred and fifty bucks and two and a half years jail. <laughs> I can't work out that mess. Right, your first first day when you arrived. Well, Jail. That, I remember you. I remember you mentioned it to me. Just, just yeah. recap what you said to me when we first spoke about it. Well, mate, I, I, I was streetwise. I bounced some doors and that. But when I stood up in front of the judge, he said, "The community doesn't take lightly." Go to the president the gun. I sentenced you to two and a half years jail, mate. I dropped. I shit myself, mate. Honestly, <laughs> I, I'll be a man. I, mm. I, I, I was. I, I didn't fear much. That was the front with the alcohol and the drugs, and I could box. I could handle myself. Mm. I was streetwise. But in jail, mate, you stay. Yeah, the funny thing about jail is you learn to start alive, but in jail, the biggest bridge, the biggest fear. That's why the officers won't let the inmates do the free weights off the floor. And, uh, mate, I'll tell you, man to man, I'll be honest, mate, I shit myself, dead set, mate. I was in that holding cell. That was the hardest thing, that holding cell. And my barrister come down and he said, mate, give me all your gold, the screws will knock it off. He said, we'll, we'll appeal it straight away. And I looked and I said, mate, you told me I'd get weekend detention community service. But for me, Adrian, that was the rock bottom I needed. Where I was at my life at the time, I was drinking and coking and drugging and partying and working on doors and hanging with some very influential people and looking after them. Mm. You know, I'd done a bit of bodyguard and stuff like that. And see, they, they, they use you up too because they don't want to do their dirty work. They get you to do it for you and they've they, they got the money. Money speaks all languages, as we know. Mm-hmm. And the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We sit on the TV all the time. You know, the love of money. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house, working hard like you do. You've got two jobs. You know, you've got wife and kids. There's nothing wrong with working hard and God blessing us. God will show us how to make money. Mm. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
and I've learnt that in your suit, you know, and and I um I tell you that first, I actually I haven't told many people this, but I'll, I'll tell you because I want to be raw, brutally honest. Yeah, raw. go for it. I um I uh, went down in holding cells, and I'd never cried from the age of six to thirty six, and this day I just was broken. My mum was up in the court. She collapsed. I'm going out. We're going out for lunch. I got 200 in my pocket. My best mate, my ex-girlfriend, the school teacher. She wrote the letter of apology. And the judge said to me a funny thing. He said, who wrote this letter? And I was like, literally, I couldn't read or write. And he, I said, my girlfriend, she's here. She's a school teacher. Anyway, and then when he said that, he said, the community doesn't take it lightly. You gave the president a gun. So I was in that holding cell. I got sentenced to two and a half years. I just put my hands in my head and I hadn't cried from the age of 6 to 36. So that's 30 years. From the sexual abuse of a six-year-old boy, I shut down. So I hadn't shed a tear because remember I shared the story about at, at the dinner table with the women and the men? Well, this day, mate, I just, I just broke down, just cried my eyes out and I just said, and I, I'm not religious, mate, I, I, I don't go to church. At that time, you weren't. You weren't. No, no, I was never been to church. Never prayed in my life. And that day, I just said, "If there's a God in this world, please help me." And I just felt the whole. The only way I can describe it, I haven't told many people this, because mm. I get spooky about it, and it's not spooky, because God's a spirit. He's not living spirit. We've got the Holy Spirit in our body, mind, body, soul, spirit. And I just felt this little voice inside me say, "Don, everything will be okay." I looked around the cell field, mate. I'm going so crazy for the cocaine. I'm hearing voices. Mm. But when I went to Long Bay Jail, the prison chaplain introduced me to a thing uh, 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 called Kairos, Kairos Prison Ministry, and they had AA and NA meetings in the chapel in Long Bay Jail. So that was me rock bottom to work to get work, and that was 1999, that's 21 years ago, mate. Yeah. So you must have thought it was like a form of psychosis. Oh, mate. That voice. I mean, oh. I've heard George Foreman, the boxer, he had mm. something similar happen to him. Well, mate, he heard a voice. When I was doing, when I was doing the cocaine, mate, I, I, I'd lay in bed and this voice would say to me, "Don't sleep, don't sleep, you'll die." So I'd wake up, "Don't sleep," and I, I'd be like that three days. Mm. I was going psychosis, mate. All right. So how did how did the faith in in Jesus, Jesus the Lord, help you overcome the depression and anxiety that you were feeling at that time? Well, I started seeing a counsellor in, um, in in Long Bay, a female young girl. And uh, she had more problems than me in her relationship. Mm. And uh, but that's where I identified because I hadn't had a drink for about three months, and that's where I identified with um, that a female member of my own family sex abused me, and or I started getting flashbacks in the cell, and that. So I started having counselling, and then I was going to the chapel, and uh, funny story about the chapel. I walked in this chapel and. I'm not in a God squad or anything like that. I've just got a strong faith today. And uh, the Salvation Army guy, lovely boat, uh, Captain John Fortley, and I'll probably get a, next week or this week a little, in jail you get a little um, Christmas hamper. It's one envelope with a stamp and a pencil, little pad to write a, a Christmas card and a packet of Mindy's, and that's a little Christmas here that Sally's give. And God bless the Sally's. They do a great job and they're helping the guys in jail. And, you know, I... I just started going to AA and NA. It's a 12-step recovery program. And there's a there's a detoxification period with every addiction. It doesn't matter if it's gambling, drugs, alcohol, sex. It, do you know, mate, now in Korea, 
they actually have for for, for you for boys your your son's age like 12 13 14 they have a detox and rehab for all these playstations and games in korea because wow. they're that addicted to these well you look at the first grade footballers they get big money young kids say a 15 year old kid signs on with south gets 80 grand and on their days off he's got nothing to do but they're on the playstation mm. they start gambling because you know they, they've got the money to do it and in Korea, I was talking to a bloke the other day about it. His son went through it for the addiction to, you know, all these all these laptops and games they got, and and they're pretty bad. And they they take all their computers off and only give them for one hour a day because they they detox them off a computer. It's amazing, and that's like any alcohol, drugs, or that. There's a detoxification period, and I detox in 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 Long Bay. I was on Valium, and. Um, yeah, once I got to the core issue, like I said, was the sexual abuse, rejection, being from my dad, I then was able to work on that and, and overcome it. You mentioned Valium. I, the, the, I only took Valium once, and it was because I was petrified flying, right? Oh. <laughs> and I had two Valiums, and it was supposed to knock me out, right? Knock me out, all right. I was that knocked out that I was laying across my brother, a pregnant woman, and this big islander guy on the plane, <laughs> travelling uh, back from uh, Barcelona, and I don't remember a thing. <laughs> it was it was it was horrendous. And when and, and when I when I come back back round, I had the worst headache of all time. So I'll never I'll never take Valium again, that's for sure. Well, you can see how you haven't been a drug user. No. I, used to, I used to take 25 Ekkies a weekend. 25 25 and, and You'd have no serotonin left yeah, in your, in and, your melon, would you? An eight-ball of Coke. I'd get, get on the cocaine. Jeez. That's why I was hearing voices, mate. And there was one period where I went to cycle water, cog, I was taking Syracor. Oh, mate, that's Syracor, mate. See, because because an addict or an alcoholic, your immune system is can cope with that. But when you stop, is the big come down. Well, I find a, a lot of guys now that I knew that were taking um, ecstasy, yeah, or MDMA, whatever you want to call it, uh, during the early nineties when I was a, when I was a younger guy, they've all a lot of them suffer with depression now. Mm. And and the thing about the drugs back in seventies, eighties, nineties. They were pure. I remember the white Californias and 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 the and the dubs, mate. The drugs then were very pure. They're very like the cocaine was ninety six percent. And see today, all the drugs are cut with a lot of stuff. You, you're lucky to get thirty percent. So what they're cutting with is now causing all this. Well, I'll, I'll give you a classic marijuana. I said to a bloke, "What makes you stoned?" And he said, "Um." When I smoke marijuana, the plant, the pot, it's hydroponic gland. The toxins off the plant, the hydroponic, which what fries their brain. You know, all these toxins, there's all different chemicals added and all that. You don't know what's in it. Mm. And that's a that's a danger I warn kids today about don't be we're talking about in the car about peer pressure at school and footballers. Don't be peer pressured to take something because you don't know what's in it. And mm. we, we look at all these dance parties that with kids dying. See, in the old days, it was all pure and it was all good. But today, I encourage kids, don't, 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 don't feel peer pressured and don't take drugs. You don't have to, to be a good person or, or try this or try that. Um, it's a choice. Mm. If I make well, it only takes one bad MDMA tablet and, you, and you're gone, Ski. 
That's it, mate. You know? If you make a wise choice today, it's obviously a wise consequence. You make a bad mm. choice, it's a bad consequence. So. Same as, I suppose, a lot of people say that marijuana is a harmless drug, m- maybe for guys around our vintage, but um, when your brain hasn't developed yet mm. until 25 normally, say mm. a teenager, say, that's smoking grass at 13, right up until 25... There is there is a chance you you could end up with schizophrenia. Oh yeah, yeah. Because because I'd a mate of mine lost it all my brother-in-law, you know, on, on that, and it made him sterilise. He couldn't have kids, mm. and um, he went to the doctor, and he, and the doctor said, "Look, we're going to give you antidepressants to come off the pot." Well, there's mm. obviously a detoxification. I just want to clarify that it's just strictly tonic water. There's no gin in it. Adrian's got the gin. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> This, uh, <laughs> they believe you because <laughs> it looks exactly the same but um well i've got gin in mine yeah so uh yeah it's um you got to be you got to be very careful these days like and and and, and my brother will come off some pot and steroid he went to the doctor the doctor gave him antidepressants mm. well antidepressants are addictive too mm. you know some people have a chemical imbalance in their body but Mate, a very addictive antidepressants because it blocks you out, it stimulates you from what's going on in your real life. Yeah. You know, we all get a little bit depressed, we all get a little bit down, you pick yourself up. Mm. You know, like there might be a bad week at work, you might have a blue of the missus, you know, just general things in life. You don't need antidepressants, mate. They, they give them out like a parking ticket. Yeah. I've always found, personally, when I've felt a bit down, uh, go out for a run. Yeah, do long, some exercise. Long run, go for a swim, uh, seawaters therapeutic oh, i love the ocean and mate. and and have a good conversation with someone like a like a don sweetman or anyone any mentor and um someone your own age or even older it doesn't matter as, yeah. as long as as long as they're good listeners that's one of the that's one of the best things you can do if you're feeling depressed that is the best therapeutic mm. value and the 12-step recovery all the 12-step recovery programs adrian they that's their paramount number one thing the therapeutic value of one person helping is without well, I f- There's certain areas. I, I remember when I was feeling down, I'd go to Shelley Beach at Manly because that, that's where this, this gentleman who was like a grandfather to me, uh, Normie's name was, he used to take us, me and my brother to Shelley Beach every, every Saturday. And so my childhood memories were, were great. I used to go down there, have the old fish and chips at Manly and... Um, and when I'm feeling down now, I still go for I go for a drive there, and it just it 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 just therapeutic. Yeah, it's, it's therapeutic. therapeutic. It, just, yeah. it gives me a lift because of the good childhood memories. You remember the old manly? Um, manly had that they had that uh, with the Ferris wheel and the yeah carnival. The carnival. yeah, the little there was a little uh, carnival there as you yeah. get off the ferry. Oh, it was fantastic. So yeah, things, and, 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 things like that. Even the uh, trip across the Manly Ferry the on the ghost boat, train, yeah, the boat, and you see the water, and the best thing when I was when I was North Head, South Head, in between the remember, uh, it just get really rough, and they had the aquarium, yeah, yeah, the, oh the aquarium when the fa- Manly family was going across, but the bill with I remember I was on the drink and I was wake up mm. crooking over. I used to go to the ocean, have a swim, and I'd feel brand new again. Yeah, you know I mean the ocean, the salt water, yeah. there's therapeutic things to do, and um, you know as you said, go for a run, go for a walk, go for a swim, you know. Well, talk, talk to someone, you know. When you when, when you used to talk to people as a chaplain, how did you get into that? Um, That's my next question. I was, because you said that you were in the chaplaincy team. Yeah, I'm a chaplaincy team member with the ACC, the ACC Church of Australia. 
because um, it was a chaplain that helped me out in Long Bay Jail, a guy called Bob Black and Ron Watts. There were two chaplains, and they invited me to do the Chorus Prison Ministry course, which was sort of a crash course of becoming a Christian and that. But they they taught me uh, that that they taught me the power of prayer, and I thought when I was in jail, and I thought that's why I started Freedom Food Bank. I want to better myself. I want to do something better. I don't want to be known as a. Uh, I hate the label being an alcoholic and addict, but I love this stuff. I love recovery. I love helping mm. people. I love talking about it. You know, helping people, mentoring people. And uh, being a mate to people, your close mouth friend, you know, what's mm. said between us stays between yeah. us. And I thought I want to, I want to give back to the society, you know, because I, I was shoplifted, I thieved, worked on doors, never sold drugs, never, I never. Mm. I, why would you want to sell drugs? I was, I was an addict. I took the drugs. Yeah. And um, so I, I thought I just thought the core to to help people and. Um, I went to Bible college. I'd done two years Bible college. I got a diploma in biblical studies, and I went to um, Chaplaincy Australia, and I done my certificate four to be a full time chaplain. But God took me back, and this is a miracle, mate. I'll tell you, not many people know this, but the officers in Long Bay Jail were going to go on strike when they heard that I was coming back in uh, as a chaplaincy team member because they didn't want to ex crim back in there and I had to learn all the security protocol I didn't even know there was antennas on the uh, uh, cell roofs to intercept the phone calls the mobile phone calls so I had to learn I knew that side of life the crook the criminal all that and, and I hung with some pretty heavy <laughs> mafia bosses cartels and all that and I was still a bit, but then I had to learn all the security protocol I had to learn the other side and um, the officers were actually going to go on strike and the head of uh, Long Bay at the time, the security manager, George Clark, he, he read the article they'd done on me in this um, Catholic Weekly and um, about how I turned my life around and all that. And um, he said, mate, I want someone like you in here telling these blokes, if you can do it, they can do it. You know what I mean? How I cleaned up my life and got off the drinking drugs and got a job. I started a company, mate. I, I was 36, and we're talking about Mark Kyle, Coogs before, mate of ours, played football. And I was in Ultimate Tafe with his son, Jet. I was 36 doing my uh, painting apprenticeship at 30, and I couldn't read or write because you know where I learned to paint? Mm. I was in jail, painting all the wings in the cells. So, really? so I learned to paint in there and I got out and I started a painting company. I called it All Purpose Painting because I found the purpose in my life. It wasn't being long by jail, alcoholic, drug all that. And go for, it's to do what I'm doing today, mentor guys and you know, encourage them, support them, become a close-mouth friend. and Yeah, so... Um, Mate, it was a miracle. And, and, and uh, I got out of Long Bay in 2000, just before the Olympics, and we talk about boxing and blokes. My mate ran the uh, establishment. Mate, we're going to get to your boxing soon. Well, I'll tell that story then, but but just stay on the chaplaincy bit. Um, yeah, I um, I got out of Long Bay in 2000. 2007 only took two years, seven years. Normally there's a 10-year cooling-off period. My application got approved to go back to the jail. And that's when I went back in, and the, the screws remembered me. Mm. You know what I mean? They said, we don't want, they were going to go on strike. But, you know, God's being God. He's pretty powerful. He opens doors that no man can open. So, look, you're, you are a bit of a showman. You did it, <laughs> you've did a bit of acting. And you're also a very, very keen boxer. Now, I remember when myself and Stevie Driscoll used to put on these uh, charity nights. You were always a very, very keen participant. <laughs> fighting in the heavyweight division. And I'll never forget you handing me this card once, which 
you wanted me to introduce you as <laughs> Don Sweetman, um, blah, blah, blah. How many, uh, how many wins to how many losses? Trained by Dino Billinghurst. I remember, never forget yeah, that name. Dino, yeah. It, D- Dino top. Billinghurst. I've heard yeah. so much about this guy. He reminds me of the Loch Ness Monster. Can, I hear about him, Rob. I've never, never seen him. Can I just interrupt you? I'd love you, to meet him. Can I just interrupt you? He's actually was a senior pipper screwing Long Bay. And yeah, I heard. He, I ju- heard. he just retired. Well, I don't know everything about this bloke. I've never met him. He he's a gentleman's gentleman. He's mm. yes, he's yes, he's no, he's no. He trains a lot of boys, kids at the the out of Costa's yeah, gym at Rockdale. Yeah, he trains a, a mate of mine, I, I, Paul I, Paul Vella's son, Jet. Yeah, yeah, Jet. Yeah, I've seen him spar, and 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 Dino, mate, he, he was one of the best officers there. As we know, he got good and bad in a lot of things mm. in life. But he yes, was yes, he's, he'd help you. He'd help. Love me. to meet him one. Oh, day. he's a champion bloke, mate. One of one of. For a prison officer, one of the best blokes I've ever met. Yeah. So you've done your boxing. You enjoyed doing that. You're, pre- you're ca- pretty good at it too. Well, I mean, I'm, you were fighting at the age of 50. You went in the ring went at Went back 50. in the ring at 50, yeah. Because I, 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 as That's I said... no I, mean feat. That's I, hard to do. As I said, I learnt to box up here at um, Daceville Police Boys, just up mm. the road here. Um, with City Rain, it was old Golden Glove champion. I got bullied at school. And he sort of taught me to box. And I was training with... Um, George Reno and Dino Bell, the Kelly brothers, I played football with mm. at, um, at uh, uh, Maruba, A grade. I think you're going to have Kevin Kelly on here shortly or Kunga or one of them. I want to get Glenn Kelly yeah, on yeah, here to talk yeah, about his yeah. fight with uh, Roy James Jr. Junior. Well, we, we're all going supporting him. We're all, we're all playing from Maruba, A grade. And for extra fitness, we're going up and Kunga was doing all the fitness with us at the Daysville Police Force where I learned the box. I was in there sparring all the boats, just working on the doors, as I said to you before. You know, them young boats coming from Mount Drew at the western suburb, you know, they, they want a knuckle. You know, it's a Saturday mm. night. I used to quickly put my mouth guard in and still got all my teeth. Mm. And, yeah, and uh, I love boxing. I love the I love the atmosphere at the fights. Yeah. I love the sport. And, uh, mate, um, and it's fi- it's fitness. It's mentally yeah. fitness. You know, you got to skip. There's, there's, boxing's a very hard skill. Mm. Not many people can get it because there's, there's a skipping skill that you've got a fitness skill. There's food, your, your diet, your, tra- your mental you can't go into that ring with your full of adrenaline and burn yourself out exactly, yeah. for the fight. And um, I had a couple of fights and done a few charities with Stevie Driscoll and you were the mm. ring announcer and that. And yeah, I um, and I, I done that for the kids for the for the PCYC Reverend. They're going to close it down when the they're, they're going to see us. We're going to knock that down and do the excellence center there. But now they're doing that just up the road in Everton Park, your place. So anything for the kids and. The charity, I'm first to put my hand up, mate. Mm. It, that was a big night that night. They, they raised a lot of money. Yeah, I think uh, it was about 30000 30, we we've, we've raised it twice. Yeah, 30000 tickets and table sales and then all mm. the jumpers and the gloves. There's another 10. So they raised a lot of money for the kids, mate. No, I'm first one to put my hand up for any charity to help out, yeah, mate. Yeah, and you've done it twice, so yeah. yeah. Nothing uh, I want to speak to you about is your acting. You're on um, Underbelly, <laughs> and you and you've. I mean, you hung out with a lot of those knockabout blokes yeah, yourself. Oh, so mate, mate, oh, you're basically you're yeah. playing yourself, but in this case, you're playing a cop. Yeah, which well, is really opposite to yeah. what. And it's funny when I got a Long Bay, I, I, I never had a job till I went to TAFE and learned to paint. It was about two years. So a mate of mine, um, Courier Cole, he rang me up. He said he does extra work, and he said. Um, Mate, mate, the money's good, the food bans, and I love the good food. And we're getting about 18, 20 bucks an hour back then, you know. I'm talking 2,000 as an extra. So I started going the extras and, and all that and the food. And the first job we've done was home and away. It was just like a stool pigeon in the background wearing a, 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 um, 
a, a, a wine shirt and, and the food. And the Wallabies won the World Cup in 2000. So they got involved home and away and all. I've met all the Wallabies and I'm eating with them. I said, how good is this, Cole? It's a great. So I started doing extras for about two years and then I liked it and I thought, mate, this, this is all right. So I went to acting school. I went to the acting school at Surrey Hills mm. and, and a guy, Anthony Gates, was my tutor. He, and he come from NIDA, the top NIDA, mm. and p- people paying thousands. To, and I, I went to the Surrey Hills Acting Centre. So I learned to act and then I started getting 50 worders and learning the camera lenses and all that. And... Uh, I got with an agent, a top agent in Sydney. He was a, a, a Grant, um, um, Susie North Shore actors, and Grant Thompson, not Grant Thompson, it'll come to me in a minute. He, um, a top agent, and he got all Channel 7 work. Like he got Home and Away, All Saints, Forensic Investigators. I played the detective, I watched it the other day, um, that Dennis, to- Dennis, I played Detective Dennis Tool in. Um, so you, you always played a cop and never a crim. Because you don't mind me saying, your face. Yeah. I mean, you've got the sort of face. Fair nigger. If, if he walked in, right, and he was... <laughs> this is a, he's got one of those heads. You remember, you remember the guy in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels? Yeah. Lenny McLean? He's, he's got one of those heads. He's like Australia's version of Lenny McLean. And, you know, if he walked in, right, and, you know... Well, if, actually, if I walked in and he was in bed with his, you know, with my missus, you'd tuck him in. That's the sort of head that he's got. <laughs> that's the outward side, mate. But um, and that's a lot of front, you know. And you, and that's the fear as a little fella. And uh, I'm sort of marshmallow inside today. But um, you know, life you have to life throws up some challenges to you, some very hard challenges. And you've got to protect yourself. You've got to look after yourself. And that's why I said I learnt the box with City Rain up there, the Glen and um, we've, we've Kunga, Glen Kelly, all the years we played and we boxed up there and sparred and I loved it. And, uh, you know, I love the atmosphere of a fight. And, you know, it, it takes, mate, a lot of people don't understand with boxing, you, it, it takes a lot of guts and skill. You've got to mongle when you get in that oh, ring. Oh, yeah. Because that other bloke wants to take your head off, mm. mate. Well, it's the fear of the unknown, not knowing who that other person yeah. is. Yeah. What his skill level's at and how hard yeah. he's trained, how much he's sparred and all that. And um, I've got a favourite saying, mate. I've got a couple, which... Um, boxing's the only sport where the lions are scared of the rats. Yeah. yeah well, the sense. promoters, fighters yeah. win. The judges get a little bit extra. Mm. The, the referees get a little bit extra. You know, and the, that's in the old days. But now, and I was, a, I was at last Saturday night, I was at the fights over at Bankstown Trotting Club, a great uh, neutral corner of promotions with Paul Siri. Mate, he had 10 fights on. Um, uh, two girls for for the... Uh, Featherweight Australian title. Yep. It was a great fight night, mate. And and I was there, and a mate of mine from Botany, I grew up, his son fought the um, major event, and, and he won. And just, you know, the camaraderie, you see mates, you, mm. you know, I used to have a beer and all that, now I don't. I'll have a, I had a food, I had three, three lamb shanks, mate, not one. Mm. I said, the poor are your food, mate. So have you had you had sons that all be, oh, I've got three boys. I've got, one's, one's a boxer now, well, he's... He wants to probably turn professional this year. That's uh, Joey. And then I've got my youngest one's only just started. He's 13, Joey. And then I've got the middle one who's the uh, footy player. Haven't got him into boxing yet, but um, that's going to be probably my next move because I think with boxing, it, uh, it teaches you discipline. And I've never seen any kid that boxes that's a smart ass. Mm. You know, honestly, I can honestly say the ones that I've been around – 
it just it it makes you it makes you humble because mm. you go in you, you might think you're a tough guy and then when you get in the ring you go in against someone that shows you that you're <laughs> mm. you're not as good as you thought you were yeah and and it makes you humble yeah and the worst thing you do to any fighter is bring them along too quickly you break their spirit that's right it's funny you say that mate because just just I went to a mate of mine used to run the black mark with a mate of mine. He passed away, Ronnie Coots. He had the he had the astrogenica jab and got the uh, ammonia a couple of weeks later, and then he um, come out of that and went well and he passed away. He, he died through that that jab. So it's another story. I was at Ronnie's funeral, and after the funeral, we had the um, wake at one of the hotels up there, at Bexley, and his nephew was he's one he's a, he's had eight amateur UCF fights, mm. and he said something to me, and this kid's only. 24 and he's going over to America they've got five votes and he said something I said he's the most the most placid kid most humble spoke eloquently I said mate you don't look like a fighter to me what's the thing that what's the switch that triggers you when you get in a fight he said when I'm walking out to the ring he said I pretend I'm this warrior and I'm going into the battle and he said I put the armour on me and he said, I just go into another. He said, his breathing changes, his, his persona, and that. I was amazed, mate, with this mm. kid. Because I got a photo of him. I put it on Facebook last week. He's going to be a champion, you mm. And how, and as you said, there's discipline. There's, there's and a you're going to have self control. Oh, too. So, mind I mean, game. You, you get some people that are really good boxers. I remember when I was boxing, I'd lose my head. I'm more of a, like a street fighter, cop one, give one sort of thing. And I remember I had to, I'm learning this. It's a, it's a sweet art, and I'd be boxing someone, and then I'd get jabbed in the face, and all of a sudden I'd just start charging at him, front lefts and rights, and elbowing, trying to headbutt him, the whole thing, and, and the trainer's going, "What are you doing that for, mate? This is boxing." And even in trying to do so, I'd get, you know, I get towed up because it was it's not a street fight, you know mm. what I mean? They well, just jab jab your face, and then go, "I can't get at this bastard. I'm trying to knock him out." That's, did you watch Jeff, uh, uh, Jeff Horn fight Manny Pacquiao? See, Manny Pacquiao's a boxer, and he's mm. a beautiful boxer. See, Jeff Horn brought him. He fought him like a street mm. toe-to-toe in the middle. That's why he beat him. Yeah. He took him off his game. He took him off his mental composure, his, his vision mm. for the fight. I, but I, I do honestly believe if, if, if you're naturally, a, you know, like aggro and you're a street fighter... It helps too, especially if you have had a hard upbringing. You, you look at some of the past fighters, like your stuff there, Rocky Graziano, for instance. He, him, and Jake Lamotta, which was the the famous Raging Bull, they had upbringings like yourself, right? Yeah. Where Rocky Marciano, he wasn't. He, you wouldn't say it was middle class, but he had the loving family, the whole thing, and um, he didn't have the mongrel in him, like like this fella. And I just find that um, some of the some of the better boxers that 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 I that I was associated with in the police boys clubs, a kid growing up at Redfern when, when I used to box there myself, they were tough street kids, hmm. right? And they'd have no fear at all. Hmm. I grew up in a middle class family. Um, it doesn't mean that you're you're a wimpy kid, but I didn't have that killer instinct that some of the other kids hmm. had. I just had that. I was you know my family's. My family, uh, my dad, my dad was a bit of a fighter, um, fighting family, I suppose, as uh, uh, Tyson Fury says. But um, yeah, 
it, it wasn't like it. I wasn't naturally a, a, aggressive like some of the the boxers that uh, the, the police boys club at that time. Well, that's what I said to you before. Like to get in that boxing, you got to mongrel. You got to switch on. Like this young buck was talking the other day. He, he, I was amazed how he could just be so placid and then switch himself over because. See, mainly with Redfern, you got a lot of kids used to come to boxing because the mums were drinking and blowing domestic violence. They'd come to the and they'd get whacked around by the father. What are you calling for the dinner table whack? I'll give you something to cry for. Mm. And a lot of physical abuse. So they come to boxing to learn to box and defend themselves because they were growing up in domestic violence, alcoholic mothers and fathers like I did, mate. So the, thank God for the PCYCs, mate. They saved a lot of kids bacon, mate, because they helped them take out that anger from the childhood abuse or sex abuse or physical or domestic violence, and I'll tape it out in the ring with, with, with the PCY clubs. And the PCYC clubs are always free membership. They never charge the kids, mate. Today it's changed a lot. They're trying to keep up with the fitness first and all that and spin class and boxing classes. The focus from the old PCYC, I remember at Daceville PCYC, I've, I was a big fat lard kid because... With abuse, you, you, you eat a lot, you want to become big, you don't want anyone to hurt yeah. you again. And uh, we used to go to Camp Mackay. On, on a Friday, I was a wrestler. I, first, I was 14, I went to Daysville, I started wrestling, I was a big kid. And the police boys was fantastic. I didn't want to come back home. Why would you want to go home? The alcoholic mum, no mm. father. So the PCYC, the old original, and they used to pay for the camp, Mackay and all that. We'd pick up all the boys from North Sydney, from Woolloomooloo, all, all around Sydney, we'd all go on this big bus, and it was fantastic. It was camaraderie. There was no alcohol, there was no abuse, there was no, um, you know, no one was getting hurt and we were able to take our frustration and anger out. You're talking about change. Now, I've got a question for you now. This is, everyone gets this question, all right, and I'm going to see how you answer it. If there's something you'd like to change about yourself, what would it be? You had divine power. What were you talking about now or child? Now. Something I'd change for my, about myself. As, well, as I said... You've you got divine power, mate. You can change anything about yourself. Um, well, so well, you, I, you know, you can say in well, the past I, too. Well, yeah, well, I, I, I um, went back to the prisons for about 12 years and was going to the chapel and mentoring the guys and sharing my testimony and all that. And that, that's why I thought God had called me. But I, I think, I think the, these days the thing I want to change is give away the painting and become a motivational speaker, a mentor, motivational speaker. Like, like I mean, professional. Not like Anthony Robbins. Um, I'm, I'm not going for the money. I've never had money, so I've never had a brand new car in my life. I just want to change... Actually, I've got the perfect answer. I want to change society's mindset that domestic violence against women is a no-no. I've never hit a woman. Woman, my mum taught me. Even though mum was a bad alcoholic, she said, Don, it costs nothing, you're nice. Treat people how you like to be treated. She said, never, ever hit a woman. I want to change the, the world's society that men have domestic violence too. Men get sexually abused. Men grow up. I want to change that whole stigma. The one stigma, and I'm very passionate about it, and the stigma, I want to change it. Not only women caught in domestic violence and sex abuse and rape but men are also and I know a guy that was sex abused by his dad and I mentor him so I want to change society's stigma mm -hmm. where it's uh, that men get sex abused too let's have a day or ribbon day for men who are victims of domestic violence I want to change that stigma 
That's a good one. Oh, mate, I'm, I'm getting emotional about it, mate, because mm. that's what I had to go through. And, 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 and whenever there's a domestic violence situation, whether you see anything on TV, it's always projected at the men. We're judged. Men are judged. You, being a crook, a criminal, you get pulled over by the coppers, you're judged by the coppers. You go to court, you're judged by the judge and jury. You go to prison, you're judged by corrective service. You get out of prison, you're judged by society, you can't get a job. Most guys out of jail. In my painting company, I only employ guys out of jail or out of rehab because I give them a second chance in life. So there's a stigma with sexual abuse and domestic violence. It's all about the men. We're labelled, you know, we're bigger, we're strong, we're tougher. Mate, I've got a mate of mine, mate, uh, a cousin who's a big woman, whacks her husband, mate, and he's just like shit scared of her, you know, like a puppet. He goes to work, earns her money, and he's gammed because he's getting abused. And, mate, there's a huge stigma against men. I want to change... The society, I want to change women's minds too, that not only women get sexual, and I condone sexual abuse. I'm totally against I've, I've done a course um, at the Marlman Journey Centre with a, a great bloke, Tony Hunter, um, and domestic violence stops with me, or it stops with the perpetrator. Um, and I got a certificate, I went and learned about it. So the one goal that I have left in life, I'm nearly 60, is I want to change society and women's mindset that not only women get abused and, and, and raped and sexual, but men do too. Men, men, men get hit in a, well, just recently that girl who stabbed her husband to death in a domestic violence thing, you know? There's a huge stigma and we're labelled, men are labelled. We're labelled in that area. It's all about, and, and don't get, hear me in the right spirit, no woman should ever be touched or, or, or molested or touched by anyone or domestic violence, but I was shooting men. Well, there you go. Don Spoken, and he's 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 always he's always makes sense, the old Don. And that means if he can change, then I can change. Means you can change also. So as I always say, treat people as you'd like to be treated yourself, but don't take any shit from anybody. Until our next podcast, a merry, merry Christmas. Have a happy new year. Don't drink and drive. Don't take any drugs and drive. In fact, don't take any drugs at all. <laughs> Anyone gives you drugs, tell them, shove it up your ass. Until next time. Ho, ho, ho. Merry ho, Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. ho, ho. Wish yourself a, a merry, merry little Christmas. Christmas.